Welcome, welcome, one and all, to Knockout City, the city of tomorrow. Knockout City is already home to some of the most amazing technological achievements you can ever imagine. But with S3, the Super Science Symposium going on, well, hold on to your butts, daddy-o. You're going to see some really cool stuff. We've got high-tech tinkerers, engineering eggheads, and super science scholars all coming to Knockout City and bringing with them their wild inventions. Let's get futuristic, baby! Oh, I tell you, brothers, it's always an exciting time when the Super Science Symposium comes to our city. But this time, I'm even more hyped because my favorite holocast, The Hunting Grounds, is covering the events. I've been binging past episodes to catch up, and a brand new one just dropped. I'm too excited. I gotta listen to it now. Let me play it for you. Hello, and welcome to The Hunting Grounds. I'm Cat Hunter. And this season, we'll be stalking the seemingly sterile halls of the Super Science Symposium. Look, I know what you're thinking. Kat, you just finished a 15-episode season all about exposing the rise of anti-brawler hate groups on social media. What are a bunch of stuffy scientists going to get up to? Well... This year at S3, they're awarding the prestigious Scientist of Tomorrow Award, which, in addition to the fame and notoriety, comes with a five million holobook prize. And you know what I always say, where there's money, there's murder. So come with me as we stalk our new prey this season on The Hunting Grounds with Cat Hunter. Oh, see, I told you, she's good, isn't she? I can already tell. This is going to be an exciting season. I'm going to go listen to it again. All right. Got my boba cola, got some popcorn, got the newest episode of The Hunting Grounds all queued up. Everything is just perfect. Oh, man. Of course, a brawl's gotta break out as soon as I get comfortable. All right, well, I gotta take care of this brawl, but you go ahead and listen to the episode and we'll compare notes later. No spoilers, okay? Welcome back to The Hunting Grounds. I'm Cat Hunter. Walking through the front doors of the glass atrium into the Super Science Symposium, I realized that I've never truly seen a scientist in real life. We all have an idea of what they look like from cartoons and hollow films, white lab coats, unkempt hair, a wild look in their eyes. And now that I'm face to face with one, I gotta say, that's exactly what they look like. And what's your name again? Ah, yes. I am Dr. Mallory Boren, creator of the Boren Bounce Pad Mark II. Oh, so our brawlers have you to thank for inventing the bounce pad? Well, not really. Perny Labs invented the bounce pad. I invented the Boren Bounce Pad Mark II, the next iteration in bounce pad technology. Ah, I see. Well, what does the Boren Bounce Pad do? Mark II. Right. What does the Boren Bounce Pad Mark II do? I'm glad you asked. My latest invention takes all you brawlers know and love about the basic bounce pad and adds brand new functionality. For instance, have you ever wanted, instead of being bounced upwards by a bounce pad, to be bounced sideways? 
Well, with the Boren Bounce Pad Mark II, now you can! Would you like a demonstration? I'd love one. Splendid. I have a volunteer brawler right here. Uh, please, step this way. And what's your volunteer's name? Hey, my name is Dougie from the Street Rats crew. Yes, yes, it doesn't matter who they are. Please, simply step on the bounce pad. Uh, sure. Like this? Uh, wasn't that supposed to bounce me? Hmm, that's odd. Uh, uh, Doc, this thing is, uh, it's really heating up. Oh, no, 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 this is a disaster! Maybe the calibration was off, or maybe he had a body piercing he didn't disclose to me. That can throw off the repulsor fields. I must go back to my simulations, and someone get me another brawler! And that was my introduction to the Super Science Symposium. A forward-thinking visionary watching their greatest achievement blow up in their face. Is this a foreshadowing of future events? Well, if you're a fan of this show, you know the answer to that question. Stay tuned. Every five years, the Super Science Symposium, or as the attendees call it, S3, gives out the prestigious Scientist of Tomorrow Award. The winner of this award will not only be swamped with offers from various organizations to purchase their research, folks like Magpie Industries and Perennial Labs, but they'll also be awarded a five million holub of prize. I took to the show floor looking to interview the scientists who were up for this life-changing award. Stationed near the front doors, I found Dr. Rodman Wolf, a kindly-looking older gentleman with enthusiastic eyes and a habit of smoothing his large white mustache over and over as he pondered his thoughts. I slipped into the crowd that had gathered around his booth. Oh, we couldn't have asked for a better day to show off our advances in solar technology. But even if it were overcast, the power generation would be more than enough. More than enough. You can see here, clear as day, this single solar array is producing a quarter of a gigawatt of power. And we have four stations set up all around the symposium, so that equals an entire gigawatt of power being generated in one city block. We're generating so much power that this entire symposium is completely off the knockout city grid. And I control it all directly from my own personal cell phone. Dr. Wolf held up his cell phone, showing off various buttons and meters as he reveled in the applause from the small audience. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I call the technology star power for a reason. These machines don't just work on our sun. They will work on any star, on any planet, in any galaxy. Now that we know we aren't alone in the universe, I say it's time to get out there and say hello to the neighbors. If I win Scientist of Tomorrow, I will use every hollow buck to bring star power to the stars. Next up was Dr. Hope Hodgson, a curious little person with an even more curious little invention. Standing next to Dr. Hodgson on a little platform is what can only be described as a potato bot? Do I have that right? This is a potato bot? 
<laughs> yes, you are correct. This unassuming little potato bot is the future of all agriculture as we know it. Knockout City has hundreds of thousands of acres of farmland growing various fruits and vegetables to feed its citizens. As the city expands, so will its food needs. While we could continue to hire people to do this work, I believe that humanity is meant for better things than digging in the dirt. Imagine, thousands of my potato bots, or carrot bots, or corn bots, or whatever bots, climbing right out of the dirt and walking straight to the supermarket all on their own. These little robots will do anything you tell them to do. That's a big job for this little guy. But a necessary one. This is just a prototype, of course. I'm the only one working on it at the moment. But if I win Scientist of Tomorrow, I will use the money to attract a team of top-tier talent to bring the Potato Bot project to life. And finally, there was Dr. Lucas Cavendish, a rather stern-looking gentleman with a shock of white cutting through his jet-black hair. The buzz around S3 is that Dr. Cavendish suddenly appeared on the super science scene with a top-secret project that he says will revolutionize our lives. It's so top-secret that he's offering private, appointment-only viewings, and as I approached his covered booth, hoping for a sneak peek, I found myself walking into a battlefield. Dr. Cavendish was in the middle of a shouting match with a woman at his booth. She was trying to break down the door into the private viewing room as Dr. Cavendish desperately tried to stop her. You're a liar! A liar and a thief and you know it! Let me in there! Ma'am, please! You must stop! There's delicate equipment in there! I know exactly what's in there. You stole my grandmother's research, and I'm going to take it back. I assure you, I have no idea what you're talking about. Dr. Shelley Wollstonecraft, my grandmother, was head of the Lunar Terraforming Project, and all her research disappeared in transit back to Knockout City when the project was canceled. I've heard rumors of what you've got back there, and it's exactly what my grandmother said she was working on before she died. The woman lunged at Dr. Cavendish, unable to hold back her anger any longer. With a strength belied by his slight body, Dr. Cavendish tore a fire extinguisher off the wall and lifted it over his head, ready to strike in defense. Enough! I never worked on the Lunar Terraforming Project, and I don't know who your grandmother is or who you are. Thankfully, before he could swing, security showed up and quickly separated them. The angry woman was ushered outside while Dr. Cavendish was surrounded by the other scientists trying to calm him. He shook them off, threw the fire extinguisher to the ground, and made his exit. I'm fine, I'm fine! I'm, I'm just... I need to prepare for my presentation. I'm debuting my invention on the main stage, and we still don't quite have the right voltage. Excuse me, I have to speak with my team. And with that, Dr. Cavendish quickly retreated behind the locked door. If I was going to learn anything about him, it was going to have to be with everyone else on the main stage. And the stage is a perfect place for even more drama to unfold. It was standing room only in the main hall. The gentle murmur of the attending scientists whispering their theories as to what Dr. Cavendish and his team were about to unveil quieted as the lights dimmed. I can see Dr. Hodgson standing in the back of the room, obscured by the potted plants. 
Dr. Wolf sitting front and center engrossed in his phone. And two gentlemen in crisp black suits from Magpie Industries were here sitting together stone still. Excitement turned to confusion as the curtains pulled back to reveal a simple garbage can illuminated by a lone spotlight. Dr. Cavendish, whose gleaming white lab coat accented the gleaming white stripe in his pitch black hair, stepped out from backstage and addressed the crowd. My name is Lucas Cavendish, Dr. Lucas Cavendish. I want you to consider the humble garbage can. A garbage can of this model sells for about 25 hollow bucks at the local hardware store. And what do we do with it, hmm? We fill it full of trash and leave it on the side of the road where anything can happen to it. Wind can knock it over. A vehicle can strike it. And one of our city's brawlers, our nice new garbage can is simply no match for a stray dodgeball. Picking up a dodgeball, Dr. Cavendish throws it at the garbage can, completely mangling the metal. And there we have it. A brand new garbage can reduced to garbage itself in mere moments through one simple, violent action we can never take back. Sure, it was only 25 hollow bucks, but multiply that over a lifetime and you're spending thousands simply to throw away your trash. Our perfect and pristine garbage can now, but a distant memory. A memory we can recall. Taking an electrical cable from his assistant, Dr. Cavendish touches it to the side of the garbage can and, with a slight hesitation, nods toward Dr. Wolf, who adjusts a dial on his phone, sending a gentle current of electricity from a star power outlet through the wire and into the battered garbage can. With a slight shudder, the garbage can begins to move. The dense undent. The damage slowly heals. We all watch with wide eyes as the garbage can is reverted back to its normal, undamaged state. Dr. Cavendish nods to Dr. Wolf, and the power is cut. Esteemed colleagues, I give you memoriam, the memory metal that remembers everything you teach it. Why continue with the expensive and dangerous task of mining and processing metals only to build something that can so easily be broken? Aluminum, platinum, titanium, things of the past. Memoriam is the future. As you saw, my damage is easily fixed by applying a specific low-level current. When you buy a product made of memoriam, you buy it for life. Where Dr. Cavendish may have expected applause, he was instead met with a stunned silence. I don't know what the various scientists in the presentation hall expected to see, but this was beyond their wildest imaginations. And they hadn't seen anything yet. Oh, no, no. You have no idea what you're talking about. Catch these hands, 42. There's no way she did it. Any true fan of this holocast knows it's never that easy. Man, some of the people on the hunting grounds message boards are just way off about the latest episode. The theories they're writing are simply ridiculous. 
It's like they've only listened to the episode once. I mean, sure, I have a theory like everyone else, but I think I'm going to listen to the episode for a fifth time before I finalize it. Make sure I didn't miss anything. I wouldn't want to make a fool of myself on the holonet. The Super Science Symposium, usually abuzz with discussion between the greatest scientific minds in the world, has fallen eerily silent after the debut of Dr. Cavendish's marvelous memory metal, Memoriam, able to heal itself from any damage back to its former state. On stage, Dr. Cavendish stands proudly, a slight smile on his face. I see I have your attention, but let me spark your imagination. Memoriam can do more than simply remember a single shape. By applying a slightly stronger electrical charge, we can access the memory form stored deeper in the memoriam. Dr. Wolf, 1.2 volts, if you please. Dr. Cavendish places the electrical cable back on the garbage can, and as the electricity surges through it, the garbage can changes from a shiny silver cylinder to a black amorphous blob a roiling mass of jet-black liquid that slowly forms into a new shape. Black goo stretches and hardens into a shiny, cherry red metal as the familiar shape of a mint condition convertible grows out of the blob of memoriam. Dr. Cavendish crosses the stage, opens the car door, and with another slight hesitation, slips into the driver's seat. The car starts with a roar, hovering a foot above the ground. From trash to turbocharger, there is no end to what you can teach, Memoriam. And it's perfectly safe. You know, I've always fancied myself more of a limousine man. <laughs> Dr. Wolf, 13.7, uh, no, 13.9 volts, please. With another nod to Dr. Wolf, the power is turned up once again. The assembled audience watches in awe as the convertible slowly turns from cherry red to a gleaming white. The hood elongates. The seats begin to multiply, all with Dr. Cavendish seated inside. Then suddenly, sparks fly from the star power generator. The cable attached to the car flaps wildly as power surges through it into the memoriam. Halfway between limousine and convertible, the vehicle shudders and begins to collapse. Large, tendril-like spikes shoot out of the material as the electricity fluctuates wildly. Dr. Cavendish struggles with the door as his body sinks into the memoriam. Finally, a chair from the audience is hurled at the star power generator, destroying it, cutting the power, and plunging the hall into darkness. The emergency lighting turns on, a single spotlight exposing a spiked and twisted shape in the middle of the stage. Part car, part trash can, part I don't know what. And somewhere inside, Dr. Cavendish. Looking around the assembly hall, I see Dr. Wolf typing furiously on his phone, and sitting near him are the two men from Magpie Industries who nod to each other and get up to leave. Both men bump into Dr. Hodgson, who is stumbling out the door, gripping her potato bot tightly. And outside the door, just visible in the shadows, I see the woman who attacked Dr. Cavendish earlier in the day, looking on with equal parts horror and equal parts happiness on her face. Miraculously, Dr. Cavendish survived. 
They managed to extract him from the mass of tangled metal and airlift him to Knockout City General Hospital, where he was treated for a few minor wounds and a rather nasty broken arm. The Super Science Symposium was canceled for the day and the attending scientists trickled out into the city to decompress from the excitement of the event. Stepping out into the night, I saw Dr. Wolf, Dr. Hodgson, and Dr. Boren huddled together on the sidewalk. I approached them, looking for some expert analysis on what just happened. Is the Super Science Symposium this exciting every year? <laughs> Not quite. Dreadful business, isn't it? What exactly happened in there? Well, if you want my expert opinion, it looked to me like there was a power surge and a generator exploded. Power surge? Certainly not, Dr. Boren. My star power generator performed perfectly. No, no. I have all the data, all the readouts right here on my phone. I can prove to you there was no power surge. Be careful with your expert opinion, Doctor. Rumors like that could knock me out of the running for Scientist of Tomorrow. Oh, I certainly didn't mean... Knock you out? What do you mean? Well, think about it. What Dr. Cavendish presented was nothing short of astonishing. There was a 99.9% .9 statistical probability that he was going to win the Scientist of Tomorrow. Now, after all that happened, who knows? With all that fame and money on the line, well, Dr. Cavendish did have many enemies. Are you saying this could have been sabotage? All I'm saying is a man with as many enemies as Dr. Cavendish should be careful. Didn't he steal a particularly lucrative grant from you, Dr. Wolf? Dr. Boren, you're certainly very chatty for someone whose invention exploded again today. My Boren Bounce Pad Mark III didn't explode. It imploded. Completely different. Oh, who cares? But yes, years ago I was in first position to win a generous grant to further my star power research when Dr. Cavendish came out of nowhere and stole the grant out from underneath me. Sounds like a perfectly fine motive to me. After all, you were in charge of the electricity during the presentation. Why, Dr. Hodgson, I seem to remember Dr. Cavendish poaching your entire team away from you with the grant money he stole from me. Is that not true? He set my research back by years. So much for loyalty. It was just me and my potato bot left in that lab. Speaking of that little potato bot, you could have told it to run behind the stage and mess with my wiring, taking out both of your competition with one fell swoop. Didn't I see you fleeing from the hall, clutching that little thing? What? I never. I wasn't fleeing. I was getting to safety. The potato bot is 90% potato. In all the commotion, someone could have easily stepped on it and mashed it. What about those two men from Magpie Industries? I saw them calmly leaving the hall after everything went bananas. Yes, I saw them as well. Nearly ran me over. Magpie Industries, huh? Hmm, that is interesting. What? Well, again, this is just idle musing. I'm not accusing anyone of anything. But, judging by what Dr. Cavendish presented, his memoriam would have meant the end of commerce as we know it. How so? I imagine a world where your car never breaks down or your washing machine can transform into a brand new television set would spell disaster for a company that makes money by selling people new things to replace their old things. 
I wouldn't put it past old Magpie to partake in a little sabotage if it meant securing his bottom line. It seems Dr. Cavendish and his memoriam had upset quite a few people. That is, if it even is his memoriam. I wanted to hear from this woman who attacked Dr. Cavendish hours before his presentation. I said my goodbyes, hailed a cab, and set out into the city on the hunt for her. And Cat Hunter always finds her prey. One of my contacts messaged me that they found someone fitting the description of the woman who accosted Dr. Cavendish. She was currently hiding away at the lamplight, so I hopped in a cab and headed on up. It had been quite a while since I visited the old lamplight, but walking through those doors, it felt like it would only been yesterday. The people, the smells, the familiar sound of the pirate radio station pumping through the speakers. I sidled up to the bar and took a seat next to her. You look like you've had a tough night. <laughs> you can say that. You spend every day wishing for something to happen, and then when it does, you're not so sure how to feel about it. Hey, cheers to that. Still, I think you can rest a little easily. Dr. Cavendish is fine. A little banged up, but he'll live. Oh, really? Oh, thank God. Wait a minute. How did you know? <laughs> that got her attention. Her weary eyes looked at me with surprise from behind a mass of curly red hair. Sometimes I get letters criticizing me for toying with my prey, but I can't help it. It makes the hunt that much more exciting. Hmm, it's my job to know things. Like I know your name is Florence Wollstonecraft, granddaughter of Dr. Shelley Wollstonecraft, head of the ill-fated Lunar Terraforming Project. Are you with the police? I didn't do it! I'm not with the cops. I'm an investigative reporter. But what didn't you do? Whatever happened to him on that stage, I had nothing to do with it. Gotta say, it doesn't look good for you. You attack him in full view of everyone, accuse him of stealing research, and then when he presents that research, it all goes wrong and he nearly dies. But I wouldn't even know how to sabotage him. I'm not a scientist like my grandmother. I have no idea how any of that stuff works. It's true. Doing some research on her, I find nothing remarkable about her background. Nothing to suggest she has the markings of a killer. She works at a department store makeup counter. She walks dogs on the weekends. No prior warrants or run-ins with law enforcement. As far as I can tell, she's never even had an overdue book at the library. So tell me about her, your grandmother. She was brilliant. She was kind, compassionate, always thinking of the greater good. That's why she started the Lunar Terraforming Project. Her and her team wanted to further mankind. In fact, did you know Dr. Wolf and Dr. Hodgson were part of the team on the Lunar Terraforming Project? I did know that. I had done some hunting around, and I found a few old articles about the ill-fated Lunar Terraforming Project. Dr. Wolf was tasked with finding a way to generate power without the need for a dangerous and volatile lunar reactor. Dr. Hodgson was working on how to grow and harvest food on the moon. Dr. Wollstonecraft was working on a new building material that was strong enough to withstand the harsh radiation and random meteor strikes on the lunar surface. Interesting that neither Dr. Wolf nor Dr. Hodgson mentioned this to me before. When I emailed them later, Dr. Hodgson replied saying they 
didn't want to be associated with the project any longer. They were looking to the future, and that failed projects didn't look good on a grant proposal. However, what I didn't find was a single reference to Dr. Cavendish on the project. Florence, if what you say is true, that Dr. Cavendish stole your grandmother's research? Well, I have a document with the name of every scientist who worked on the lunar terraforming project, and he seems to be telling the truth. There was no Dr. Lucas Cavendish on the project. I know, but how do you explain him having my grandmother's research? I know my grandmother was working on Memoriam. She would call me from the moon and she'd tell me all about it. I was pretty young, but I remember her telling me about a black liquid that could take on any shape. I remember talking to her right before she died and she said she was days away from a real breakthrough. You say you're an investigator? Well, investigate. And I tried. I searched everywhere. And in all my digging, I couldn't find a record of what exactly Dr. Wollstonecraft was working on. Being the head of the project, she didn't really report to anyone. When she died, any interest in the project died with her, and all the records and reports were left behind on the moon. So, unfortunately for Florence, it seems the answers she's looking for lie a quarter of a million miles in space, somewhere on that abandoned moon base, never to be found. All right, got a crowbar, my head-mounted flashlight, an energy bar in case I get hungry. What am I forgetting? Oh, an oxygen mask. I haven't been to those parts of the moon base in a long time. <laughs> Who knows if they still have life support? That should be it for my little expedition. Let's get going while the going's good. I'm sure you've listened to the last episode by now about how the evidence Florence Wollstonecraft needs might be on the moon. Well, it hit me last night. I'm on the moon! I can go look for that evidence! So, I'm gonna head off into some of the deeper parts of the moon base and see what I can find. I gotta be careful though. I'm only one guy, and I can't really keep this whole place running on my own. So I kind of let some parts of it get a little run down. Not too bad. I ain't no absentee landlord. Just, I was never going to use something called the Lunar Umbilical Anchor Node. So I figured, when a meteor hit it, no skin off my teeth. Jeez, there is a lot of moon dust everywhere. I should hire someone to come up here and clean this place up. <laughs> ah, here we are. Super Science Lab 001. Hmm. Now, this door won't open either because the power out here is kind of patchy or it locked itself when this section of the moon base suffered explosive decompression and opening this door will suck me out into deep space. It's a coin flip either way. Heads I win, tails I lose. Let's get her open and find out. Come on, baby. Papa needs a new pair of shoes! <laughs> Alright! Heads I win! Let's get to snooping! Looks pretty cleaned out, except for all that moon dust. Desk drawers are pretty empty. Huh, this is a nice pen. Hey, looky here! Four lockers each with a name tag. We got a locker belonging to an R. Wolf. Nice! Some notebooks in here. Those should prove interesting. Huh, an H. Hodgson. 
Some seed packages. I wonder if she wants these. The third locker belongs to an S. Wollstonecraft. Hey, jackpot! Check out all these boxes of top secret documents. And what's this? Oh, a hollow pick of the team on day one. Nice. Bet Florence would like to see this. And the final locker is. Hmm. This locker only has two letters. LC. 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 Lucas Cavendish! Is this it? Is this proof that Dr. Cavendish was on the moon? I gotta get this locker open. Urgh. Come on, open up! Yeah. Huh? There's just a bunch of mops and brooms in here. Oh, hey! A moon dust buster! The intake pipe is bent to heck, but I can fix that. Nice! Oh, man. Does LC stand for Lunar Custodian? Jeez. I thought I cracked the case wide open. <sighs> Either way, I'm going to gather up all these documents and send them to the hunting grounds. Hopefully they'll help Cat and Florence in their investigation. Word of Dr. Cavendish arriving back at the Super Science Symposium spread like wildfire through the convention floor. When his presentation nearly killed him, the prevailing belief was that his prospects of winning the Scientist of Tomorrow award were all but impossible. But with the rumor mill working overtime and the collected scientists whispering theories and speculations over what happened, they all agreed. It must have been sabotage that ruined the memoriam presentation. Surely Dr. Cavendish couldn't be held responsible for a jealous colleague trying to ruin his career. The tricky thing about this whole affair is, if it was sabotage, who did it? The symposium organizers reviewed the security footage and found nothing suspicious. Even Police Commissioner Chase was called in to investigate, and her iron eyes saw nothing out of the ordinary. I'd interviewed Dr. Wolf, Dr. Hodgson, and Florence Wollstonecraft. And while they did have motive, they lacked ability. If Dr. Wolf messed with the power output, there would be records of it in the database, and there's nothing out of the ordinary there. And Dr. Hodgson's potato bot can be seen on the security footage digging in a potted plant trying to replant itself. And Florence I saw for myself, standing outside the doors, nowhere near the stage. That left one more suspect, Magpie Industries. As I made my way back to the Super Science Symposium, I passed by the two-suited gentleman getting into a black limousine. Not going to stay for the Scientist of Tomorrow Awards? I figured Magpie Industries would be a little concerned by the idea of Memoriam and its ability to disrupt the public sector market. Don't you want to see if it wins? No, we've seen all we need to see. Dr. Cavendish's research isn't quite ready for mass production. It nearly killed him. Imagine if that had happened to a paying customer, or worse, an investor. Some say it was sabotage. I watched the gentleman's face like a hawk as I said the word, sabotage. Looking for any change of expression or tell that would give away his guilt. Nothing. Stone still. As a representative of Magpie Industries, I resent the implication that we had anything to do with the tragedy that occurred on stage last night. I would advise you tread lightly with your accusations, or you will be receiving a letter from our attorneys. Besides, we're Magpie Industries. We don't bump people off. 
we pay them off. And Dr. Cavendish's price was simply too high for an invention that dangerous. Good day, Ms. Hunter. As their limo pulled away into the sky, I had to agree. Malcolm Magpie usually leaves the public acts of grandiose showmanship to his charity work and not his industrial espionage. So that was it. All four suspects had rock-solid alibis. The trail had gone cold. The story was dead. In less than an hour, the Scientist of Tomorrow Award would be announced and the symposium would be over. Everyone would go back to their labs and forget about the past so they can work on a better future. I was about to get into a taxi and move on to my next big story when someone called my name. Excuse me, are you Catherine Hunter? Yes. Package for you. Sign here. Great, here you go. Oh, oh, could you please sign this for my wife? She loves your show. As the taxi pulled away, I watched the glass atrium slowly shrink and get lost among all the other buildings in Knockout City. As far as mysterious packages go, this one was unique. It was a heavy metal box with the letters Property of Cosa stamped on the side. It was addressed to me in almost impossible to read handwriting, care of the Super Science Symposium, and the return address simply said, The Moon. With a satisfying sigh, the lid opened up, revealing pages and pages of documents with a single framed holopic on top. Taking one look at the photograph, I shouted to the driver to take me back to the symposium. It seems I have a guardian angel looking down on me and they just blew this case wide open. Pushing through the front doors of the Super Science Symposium with a mysterious package in both arms, I can hear the Scientist of Tomorrow ceremony beginning in the main hall. As I make my way past the empty booths, I catch sight of Florence and rush up next to her. Cat, what's going on? I came as soon as you called. Florence, I have it. The evidence you've been looking for. Here, hold this. What? How? You could say I have a friend in high places. Now, let's get in there and make a scene. In my line of work, I get to have many firsts. First time skydiving, first time going undercover, first time spending the night in a walk-in freezer. But this was the first time I ever got to kick open a door and shout, I suppose you're all wondering why I've gathered you here. As a group, the scientists in attendance all turned to watch me as I strode up the aisle to the stage. The stage where, next to a glass container of memoriam, Dr. Cavendish stood, frozen hands reaching out for the Scientist of Tomorrow award he was mere seconds from winning. My name is Cat Hunter, and before you give that award away, I want to tell you a story. A story about Dr. Shelley Wollstonecraft. What? Who are you? Oh, I see you're with the woman who attacked me. For the last time. I have no idea who you are. Now leave me alone. Florence, you attest that your grandmother, Dr. Wollstonecraft, is the true inventor of memoriam, do you not? I do. Preposterous! And yet, you don't have any evidence to support this. I... I don't. Exactly. Baseless lies. Florence, would you please open the package in your arms and tell me what's inside it? It's documents, notes, research... My grandmother's research! Her research into memoriam! What? Where, where did you get that? 
These documents, they're obviously fake. Meant to discredit me. This woman attacked me in broad daylight and is clearly the one who sabotaged my presentation, nearly killing me. Ah, yes, the sabotage. I've been thinking about that, and every suspect I interviewed has a solid alibi. Dr. Wolf handed his data over to authorities who found no foul play. Dr. Hodgson's potato bot was buried under four inches of soil. Florence wasn't even in the room, and the gentleman from Magpie Industries wouldn't risk a public spectacle like that. No, I don't think there was any sabotage. What are you saying? I almost killed myself? <laughs> How preposterous. In a way, I guess I am. Tell me, doctor, what is the proper voltage to apply to Memoriam to make it remember a stage three memory form like the limousine you were in last night? What? I, I don't have to answer that. It's a simple question, doctor. You do know the answer, right, doctor? This is ridiculous. To access a stage three memory form, you apply at 13.9 volts to the Memoriam. Yes. Florence, be so kind as to read this page from Dr. Wollstonecraft's research paper dated 10 years ago. Through rigorous testing, I have found that a strict application of 13.7 volts is necessary to access a stage three memory form. Any less and the memory will fail to materialize. Any more and the memoriam will become unstable and rapidly shift between stored memory forms. Proceed with extreme caution. Ooh, wrong answer, Doctor. Now, why would the one who claims to have invented Memoriam not know the answer? Admit it, there was no sabotage. You simply didn't have all the research when you stole it from Dr. Wollstonecraft. Slander! I don't know what is going on here, but for the last time, I wasn't on the Lunar Terraforming Project. I've never met Dr. Wollstonecraft or whatever her name is. Dr. Wolf? Dr. Hodgson, you were there. Tell them. Dr. Cavendish was shaking with rage. His normally tidy, dark black hair was a mess, and his signature strip of white hair was hanging loose in front of his face. Well, it's true. The Lunar Terraforming Project was a small team. It was just me, Dr. Hodgson, and Dr. Wollstonecraft. There was no Dr. Cavendish. Ah, uh, you're more right than you know, Dr. Wolf. The Lunar Terraforming Project was spearheaded by a team of only three brilliant scientists, that's true. But the moon base is a big place, and it needed constant upkeep to keep the lights on and the hallways free of moon dust. It's pretty ironic that the person who stole the memoriam was so sloppy and failed to clean up their tracks. Especially when that person was... Reaching into the crate, I pulled out the holopic and gestured on the screen to blow the image up. The picture of the lunar terraforming team on their first day on the moon filled the air above the stage. Dr. Wolf is there, looking youthful, smiling under the beginnings of his giant mustache. Dr. Hodgson on the right, holding an enormous tomato and looking sheepishly at Dr. Wollstonecraft in the middle, her bright red hair floating in the reduced lunar gravity. And in the background, a figure, barely visible, walking by the open door, wearing a tan jumpsuit and holding a moon dust buster a visible shock of white streaking through their inky black hair. The Lunar Custodian, Lucas Cavendish. Aww. 
The hall erupts into shouts, scientists jumping from their seats, shouting at Lucas Cavendish, who stood there, slack-jawed, staring at the hologram version of his younger self. How... how did you get this picture? I left it behind on the moon where... where no one could ever find it. In my haste to leave, I left some of Shelley's research behind. She... she was going to give it away! The memoriam! She... she said it was to be a gift to mankind. Nothing would ever break. Nothing would ever need to be repaired. She was making me obsolete, and she was just going to give it away for free. So I... I... I took it! And it's mine! It's mine now! And I'm going to be rich! Get out of my way! Leaping from the stage and grasping the container of memoriam, Lucas Cavendish pushed past the scientists and out into the main hall. Lucas, stop! Watch out for... But it was too late. In his blind rage, Lucas Cavendish ran right into the boring bounce pad Mark IV, where it perfectly launched him sideways into the star power generator. The glass container shattered and spilled the memoriam all over the generator. Electricity surged through it, causing the memoriam to destabilize and begin to rapidly take the form of everything it had learned over the last 10 years of experiments. First, there was the garbage can, which morphed into the convertible, then the ill-fated limo, and then it started showing us memory forms we hadn't seen before. A series of half-formed household appliances, simple shapes like a sphere and a pyramid, and then, as it drew more and more power, it was able to reach further back in time to show us its first memory. I had trouble understanding what I was seeing at first, but as the memory form gained more detail, I could see that it had taken the form of a table with a small blob resting on it. Behind the table was a figure, a woman, a woman with red hair flowing in the reduced lunar gravity. This was Dr. Wollstonecraft's breakthrough. This was the first memory the memoriam ever recorded, looking up from its petri dish at its creator, smiling down on it. And then another figure coalesced from the blob, a creeping figure in the background, a man holding what looks like a moon dust buster menacingly above his head, his head covered in dark black hair with a single white stripe running through it. With one quick motion, the moon dust buster is brought down and so is the woman. As the man reaches forward and snatches the memoriam from the dish, the memory form shudders and collapses into a puddle on the floor, exhausted. Lucas Cavendish was arrested and tried for murder. The main witness in his case was the very memoriam he stole all those years ago on the moon. In light of these events, the Super Science Symposium bestowed the Scientist of Tomorrow Award to the late Dr. Shelley Wollstonecraft. And now that Florence has all of the missing research, she decided to take the prize money and build a team to continue in her grandmother's dream. So Florence, once you finish your grandmother's work, what will you do with it? Donate it to further mankind? It's what my grandmother would have wanted. Memoriam has limitless possibilities to help people. It's not right to profit off of it. Cheap housing, transportation, clothing. <laughs> Maybe even someday we'll go back to the moon and finish what my grandmother started. 
If you ask me, I hope she does, because I'll be the first one to sign up to go. There's someone up there I'm dying to meet. I think they have a story to tell, and this hunter always gets her prey.